Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, 106.3 WORD proudly presents Hot Rods and Happy Custom car and hot rod enthusiasts together for a weekly chat. Here are your hosts, Rob Pitts and Odd Rod, live and local on 106.3 WORD. All right, guys, I want to welcome everybody to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Odd Rod, you know what? We're doing something a little different today. Yes, we are, Rob Pitts. What are we doing differently? You know what? Normally, Hot Rods and Happy Hour, we're all about high octane. You mean like chirping ears and, you know, burning tires? Well, see, I'm still talking about that, but we're going to do it a different way. What kind of way are we going to do it? We're doing it with high voltage. High voltage. You're you're talking about electricity, aren't you? Yes, sir. We're talking about electric cars in general. But I tell you what, before we can jump into it and talk about all the cool cars coming in and all that stuff and all the neat things they're doing with these electric motors nowadays, I tell you what, we need a little history lesson. But before that history lesson, though, I want to remind everybody about a very special calling guest we have today. Ooh, very special. Who would that be, Rob? I tell you what, I don't, I want to leave you guys hanging for just a little while, but I'm going to mm. give you three words about this calling guest. Give them to me. World record holder those are three great words i want to tell you something if a man was describing me like that you'd be a pretty cool guy well that will never happen so we ain't got to worry about that moving pretty on much. moving on so i'm gonna give you a little history lesson of the electric uh, car and we're gonna step back before the actual car we're gonna step back to 1828 when a hungarian man uh first invented the electric motor um and this would power a small model car but the car wasn't the actual um, actual target at that time. Moving forward a little bit, the first genuine electric car would be uh, wouldn't come around until um, 1837 when Robert Davison, who was a chemist of Aberdeen, a Scot- Scotland city, um, he created this car powered by galvanic cells, or better as we know them today, it's batteries. Batteries. Um, I will take electric cars for a thousand, Alex. Well, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so mass transit was the market here. Trains, you know. So Davidson built a larger car, which we would know as a locomotive, and uh, named it the uh, Glavani. Um, and this was exhibited, exhibited at the uh, Royal Scottish Society of Arts exhibition in 1841. Long this time. thing weighed seven tons. Seven tons. And it was moved with electric power. It was. Um, it was moved with two direct drive reluctant motors uh, with fixed electric magnetic uh, magnetics acting on iron bars attached to wooden cylinders on each a- each axle. Uh, simple commutators is what got moving. Which commutators, you know, they're around since then, and that's what we see to now nowadays in alternators and things. Well, I mean, it's basically electric motors, period, in general. Yeah, exactly. A commutator, you know... That is the heart of an electric motor. Um, I mean, this is crazy. Though. We're talking 1840s. Yeah, I mean, mid-1800s, and, and this is some serious advancement in technology. So 1842, this train hauled a load of six tons at four miles an hour 
for a distance of a mile and a half. I just got a feeling there's going to be a problem coming up. There is. Well, first of all, that's not going to get us nowhere quick at all. You know, that's, I mean, that's not really, um, you know, it's not really good. No, not at all. Because the iron workers actually destroyed this thing. Yes, they did. They saw it as a threat. Um, and I, I don't blame them. I mean, you see this nowadays, you know, robotics stepping into things, and people view it as a threat. And, that, and that's exactly what we had back then. Mind you, that wasn't much of a threat at four miles an hour, considering you had steam power and all that during this time period. But it was a threat. Um, you know, so it was destroyed by the railway workers. Um, and then in 1884, inventor Thomas Parker, and this guy is going to be very important. Thomas Parker was the man responsible for innovations such as the London Underground, overhead uh, tramways in Liverpool and Birmingham, and smokeless fuel uh, we know as Colite. And just to give you a little background on what Colite is, it's a brand of low-temp Coke. And I'm not talking about the booger sugar. What now? No, 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 no we're not talking about that. This is uh, Coke that we're referring to is used as a smokeless fuel, and Coke is residue left behind by the coal that is carburized at 640 degrees Celsius. That's pretty hot. So it's a residue. Um, Thomas Parker in 1884 built the first production electric car. This is very important. And it was um, the effects of smoke and pollution in London that drove Parker to actually find a more viable fuel source. And keep in mind, this man took that upon himself. There was no EPA then. No. There was nothing like that at the time. No, there was absolutely nothing. There was zero. In the, in the late 1800s, there was zero government regulations, like you said, the EPA. No one monitored emissions of it. There wasn't no Cadillac converter. Um, so you got all these, all these, you know, very few gas-powered cars at the time, but all these steam-powered cars just letting pollution out in the air. So, yeah, pollution was actually a major issue, even though the vehicle, you know, there were many vehicles on the road at the time. It was a major issue, and he was, at that time, looking for a solution. Well, at the time, efficiency wasn't really a problem. They were just excited it worked. Yeah, I mean, someone's excited to go, you know, from a horse and buggy to a a vehicle that, you know, they didn't have to propel themselves. A vehicle they didn't have to feed anymore. (laughs) Well, it was feeding in a different way, but yes, sir. But you're absolutely right. And I want, for everybody listening in... um, I want to tell them, if you haven't heard the beginning of this show, you need to tune into the podcast uh, that will be uploaded later on, um, because the show we are talking about, you know, everything we're talking about is going to be very important uh, for future shows to come. So you're going to want to catch everything in this uh, in this entire segment and this entire show. Just to, it's, it's going to set the ground. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're building a story here. And absolutely. So fast forwarding. Before the preeminence of internal combustion engines, before you know they started breaking grounds, electrical automobiles actually held some uh, speed and distance records. Really? Uh, one of these was um, probably the most notable, uh, was breaking the 100 kilometer an hour uh, speed barrier. It's about what, 60, 62 miles an hour? 62 miles an hour. And that was done by Camille Genazzi in 1899. And why is that, you know, why is that so important? Well, up to that point, no one has gone this fast. Well, the thing you got to understand about electric power, and people back then really didn't understand it compared to internal combustion, do not get me wrong. This is a disclaimer. Rob Pitts loves internal combustion. Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something about electric power. It's instant torque. There's no slag. There's no anything you lose in a driveline with electric power. 
there's advantages to electrics. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you said, it's instant torque. And, and you know, especially when you cross over to the world of drag racing, you know, horsepower is important. Torque is by far more important. Torque is what moves the car. Absolutely. Horsepower is how far you carry the crowd once you hit them. That's for your Mustang, guys. Anyhow. Easy. Easy. <laughs> uh, we just had them in here last week. I had to hit them a little bit. Anyhow. Make so one LS joke. <laughs> Odd Rod takes you out on the air. Uh, anyhow, in 1890, electric cars came to America. Um, William Morrison of Des Moines, Iowa, created a six-passenger wagon. There you go, wagon, you know what I'm saying? Uh, capable of reaching speeds at 14 miles an hour. How about that? Moving, moving. 14 mile an hour. Yes, sir. In uh, 1895, A.L. Riker would uh, build the uh, electric bicycle. Also, he built an electric tricycle and later some electric cars. But thus, turning Americans onto the idea of electric transportation. Well, and at this point, you're really going to start seeing it boom in the U.S. Oh, absolutely. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this segment right here because we still got tons of things to talk about. Um, this gets us up to the 1900s. This gets us uh, electric cars coming to America. We got a lot coming up next. We're going to be talking about hybrid cars, your first hybrid cars. And like I said, I'm not talking about those Priuses. Way before those We ain't times. talking about no Toyotas. No Toyotas, not yet. Uh, but we're going to be talking about that. And then uh, we got some discrepancy in the electrical field, and we're going to be talking about that, too. I'll tell you what, we do. That That's going to be an interesting conversation, guys. You definitely want to stay tuned for it. And I want to tell you one more thing you got to stay tuned for. Odd Rod, you ever heard of the Guinness Book of World Records? I have, I have. I read it. Yeah, I got, a good, I got a good friend that's in it, and you're going to be talking to him next here on Hot Rods and Happy Hour. I'm 106.3 WORD. This is Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Hit our Facebook and Instagram links at 1063WORD.com. Grab your radio and hold on. This is where speed and horsepower rules. Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Live and local with Rob and Odd Rod on 1063WORD. All right, guys, I want to welcome everybody back to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Odd Rod. What's up? We need to do a little schooling on this electric stuff. You left us hanging right here at the early 1900s, and you said something about some hybrids. I didn't know they made Priuses back then. Well, they didn't. <laughs> uh, in 1911, the first gasoline electric, gasoline electric, that'd be a hybrid, um, was released by Woods Motor Company um, in Chicago, Illinois. So they had a gas slash electric powered car in 1911 by definition that would be a hybrid and yes the year would be 1911 and the city would be chicago chicago the windy city i just got a feeling this thing didn't take off no it didn't it uh it sank like a rock uh the hybrid uh was a commercial failure actually um proven to be too slow for its price and too difficult to service Uh, basically no one was smart enough to work on it well the thing that was crazy is this is 1911 yeah these things were almost 1800 dollars yeah, in I mean, 1911. Yeah, Keep well, in mind the Model Ts were 475 bucks. Yeah, well, Henry Ford had it figured out. We'll get to him in a second. At the turn of the century, uh, this is a cool little fact: 40% of U.S. automobiles were uh, powered by steam. 38% were actually electric, while only 22% were gasoline. That means 33,842 electric cars were registered in the U.S. during the peak time of 1910. 1910 being the peak time of electrical automobiles. That's crazy. You're telling me the peak time for electric cars is 1910. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's picked up later in the 2000s here, but 
yeah up until now the peak time was 1910 and more uh, electric cars were on the road than gasoline powers which is absolutely astonishing considering you know how everybody hates them but by the 1920s the u.s road system had grown worldwide petroleum uh, reserves led to affordable and uh, readily available gasoline and this would make gas-powered cars cheaper to operate and especially over long distances so you could hop in your gas-powered car take off cross country well you have no wait time no charge time no nothing like that but another thing i think about there was houses that didn't have power in them much less an electric car yeah, absolutely. At this time. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you couldn't just drive to California in an electric car and expect to plug in along the way. I mean, that option was not there. Now you can pretty much do that. And the ranges on electric cars are much farther. I mean, you're talking about back in the um, the 1900s, 60 miles might be your tops. So, Which is still impressive. Very impressive. And, I mean, as a city commuter, I mean, you know, that's not bad. If that's all you're doing is driving around the city block, you know, driving to work, and work might be a couple miles away. It's really not that bad. Well, people didn't travel like they did too. Now, I mean, the I days of cross country traveling—that that really wasn't even a thing. Yeah, I mean that—that that was an adventure back then. Absolutely, you know the. And this is just a little history, side history. Uh, traveling didn't really take off to the fifties. I mean, that's when people really started getting mobile and. You know your cross country trips, your you know your Route sixty six trips. That's when that's when that really picked up. Is in you know your mid late forties and even into early sixties. That was when that was really big. So it wasn't an issue then. You could have a car that only had a range of sixty miles on it, and you know no big deal. Um, so along with the invention of electric uh, of electric cars, we had electric starters um, by a guy named Charles Kettering. Charles Kettering invented invented the starter in nineteen twelve, and this added to the ease of automobile operation because, as we know, you had to crank a car up at that time. Well, you got to think about how dangerous it was cranking these cars up. When it was on that compression stroke, if your hand was in the wrong place, odds are you were going to lose it. Absolutely. And, you know, you don't want to send your wife or your girlfriend out there to start the car up and it could throw her across the yard. I mean, nobody wanted that. So, you know, the invention of the starter was a great thing. And let me uh, keep that name Charles Kettering in your mind because he's going to play an important role later on. I got a really interesting, interesting tidbit of information on this. On the, uh, if you ever notice any car from your 30s and 40s, you'll notice at the bottom of the grill of every one of those cars, there's going to be an emblem or something out of place. That's actually called a crank hole cover. Yes, sir. You're they planned that correct. all the way into the 40s where you could crank your car by hand still. This is absolutely true. Uh, That's actually a very interesting thing that not many people know. So, let's uh, continue. In the year of 1912, you got the electric starter. Well, there was another invention in 1912 that was also very, very important. What's that? A man by the name of Henry Ford. Never heard of him. Never? Well... He created the worst automobile ever, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. It just depends on who you ask there. Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a uh, loaded question there. But um, Henry Ford created the assembly line, building cars and mass production. Well, that's the thing. Now he started mass producing this low-cost automobile that runs on gasoline. And you know, the 1912 Ford was available in a variety of colors, as long as you want it in black. I've never heard that before. I didn't figure it did. <laughs> this week. Figure I'd try it out. So yes, Henry Ford crippled... Um, I wouldn't say crippled. I say he destroyed the he electric. He dominated. Car. Yeah, he he absolutely crushed the electrical car for the time being. Um, you know, a decade later, the electrical car was gone. So by nineteen, you know, mid nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, there was no more electrical car. But for those tuning in, and you know, talking about electrical cars, there is hope for the future. 
Well, you're starting to see electric cars make a comeback, and that's the reason we'll talk about it today. And we've got a very special guest today we're talking to that's probably one of the brightest guys on electric power in our area. Well, it was the death of the electrical car that made him a viable person in our future because you had all this technology and people didn't want to let go go to waste. So what they do with it? In 1923, Yale would begin production of electric-powered forklifts, which we still see them today and yeah. still made by Yale. And just a few years later, you start seeing electric-powered golf carts. Yes, sir. In 1954, a company by the name of Letro, Electro would produce the first electric golf cart. And within a couple of years, you had Cushman, you had EasyGo. They were all stepping in. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's a field, a market that is just absolutely taken off for electrical powered vehicles oh yeah well, it's boomed yeah it's, and that ties in our guest actually because he's all about electric golf carts he's all about it and then some <laughs> but we'll get to him in a little bit more here later so through the 1960s your big three uh and even in 67 amc would jump on board and have their own electrical car program amc had an electric car they had a hard enough time having a gas car that would stay running you're telling me they want an electric one too well you notice the company is no longer with us so, <laughs> what does that tell you? We see where that went. So, yeah, they um, all the big three, and you know, even in Canada, there was an electric car program. They didn't really do a whole lot with it. You see a couple electric cars pop up. Uh, GM had one back in '71. as a little uh, horny Mike had one. Do you remember that? Or Ryan? Ryan had one off uh, Counting. No, it was Rolly. Rolly. It was the city car. I don't think anything GM had anything to do with that. Those things they were made like to be mail vehicles. I think originally. Yeah, uh, GM had a similar model is what I was It looks like it was built out of Legos. <laughs> Pretty much. On July 31st, 1971, electric car would receive a unique distinction of becoming the first manned vehicle to drive on the moon. This is very important. That's the lunar rover. As the lunar rover. The, quote, moon buggy was developed by Boeing and a GM subsidiary, Delco Electronics. Now, you remember the name I told you to remember early on? Mr. Uh, Kettering? Yeah. That company... Delco Electronics was founded by Kettering. The guy and who today built- you still see Delco Electronics. Absolutely. Many of the parts, especially starters, are made by Delco. So Kettering was a very important person in the uh, in the whole history of electric automobiles. All right, Hot Rod, I think that's a good time to stop off right here. Guys, you're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour on 1063 W O R D. Never miss Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Listen on demand. Hit the podcast link at 1063WORD.com. The discussion is always high octane on Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Like, follow, and connect at 1063WORD.com. All right, guys, welcome back to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. I'm Rob Pitts. And I am Odd Rod. I'll tell you what, Odd Rod, I've got a story. i got a story I want to tell you. i got a story about deceit. Hmm. Conspiracies, ah. big companies, Ooh. and we're still talking about the electric car. I like it. I tell you what, guys, we were talking about the electric cars, and we brought you all the way through the 1800s and the 1900s. Now we're going into the 1990s. 1990s, Los Angeles Auto Show. General Motors president Roger Smith unveils the GM Impact electric concept car. Who in the heck names a car the Impact? GM. You might huh? as well call it the the GM collision. I like the GM T-Bone or prefer the GM re-render. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, who names a car that? I mean, it's, I think it's a great name. I think, you know, it speaks volumes. It speaks something. <laughs> Anyhow, the California Air Resource Board, uh, also known as CARB, 
um, the government of California's Clean Air Agency, begins their push for a more fuel-efficient, lower-emissions vehicle. Their ultimate goal was to be uh, a zero-emissions vehicle. So they want no emissions on an electric car. Well, I think, what, how many cars do they want, like 10% of all cars produced after a certain period or Absolutely. something like that to be electric? Or uh, zero emissions? So this was the birth, or rather rebirth, of electric cars, but it's the birth for many models, including the Chrysler T van, the Ford Ranger EV pickup, the S10 EV pickup, that's right, S10 and Ford Ranger electric pickups. You had seen a lot of... Uh, of local county cars. Local counties actually had these electric trucks. Yes, sir. Like water service, things of that nature. But I want to talk about one car in particular, the Impact, or as it later came to know, the GM EV1. Uh, GM's program came under a particular scrutiny and an unusual move. Consumers were not allowed to purchase the EV1s. They only leased them out. It was a closed-in lease. It was a closed-in lease. Uh, so you have a corporation that builds cars to sell them, but won't sell these. No, they, I mean, that's crazy. You know, they, they, they were built on selling cars, but these cars right here were only leased. And they only leased, what, like around 1,100? That's right. 1,117 uh, GM EV1s were ever made. Um, and to our knowledge, only three of those exist today. And, you know, this is crazy because... You know, you mentioned their close-in lease. What would happen is after the lease, GM would repossess these things. They would take their car back. Absolutely. So the EV1 was made available to residents only in L.A., Phoenix, and Tucson, Arizona. Later... The uh, thing was interesting also about these cars is the salespeople knew that this was something that was living on borrowed time already. Uh, By yeah, the way, absolutely. they were active. They put these cars in the right hands. They had a lot of celebrities lease these cars. Danny DeVito, Tom Hanks. Mel Gibson had one of these cars. Well, GM passed this off as a real-world engineering uh, evaluation and a marketing study to to see the feasibility of producing a, a marketing a commuter electric car in the U.S. That's what they said, anyhow. Uh, year after launch, a limited program was available in Georgia, so there was a couple there. Um, the EV1, <coughs> pardon me, the EV1 could only be uh, serviced. At select uh, Saturn dealerships, which is a very interesting fact. Well, they brought the car out under the Saturn nameplate. Um, you know, there's never a GM car. They're all GM cars. It was actually a Saturn brand car. Correct. Um, the thing that was crazy was there really was no service or maintenance this car. I mean, yeah, think about it. The only moving parts it had was sealed bearings for the wheels. There was no moving parts anywhere on it. They changed the cabin filter and checked tire pressures on it. You didn't do any oil change. It was a maintenance-free car, so General Motors was losing money there. Yet another reason why the EV1 went away. So what happened in 2002, the program was halted, and all cars were uh, on the road were repossessed, and despite pro- protesting, they were crushed. Well, it was kind of funny, the story about these cars, and I'll elaborate on it a little bit. They actually brought all these cars to one big parking lot, and they stored them for about six months because people were protesting for so long about these cars. They wanted them back. They loved them. These cars had a 140-mile range, and it was a totally clean car. I mean, I mean, you plug it up, and other than the power you put in, that's the only thing it really cost you. Um, everybody loved them. You know, they were fast. I mean, these cars were out around a 300ZX, which was impressive for an economy car. But and they were quiet, of course, zero emissions. But this is the thing: GM wanted these cars off the road, so they put these cars in this parking lot. And they stayed there for six months. People protested for six months straight. And even after six months, the crowd died down. But there were still people protesting every day about these cars. They drove these cars and loaded them on car haulers, and they drove them to Arizona. That's where GM's test grounds were. They uh, 
and there's pictures online. You can actually look it up. If you type in EV1 online, it'll actually pull up the pictures of an overhead shot, and they crushed every one of them. There's only three in existence. They made 1,117 of these cars. They crushed them all but three, and the three are disabled. So what happened? Well, all but one is disabled. All, all but one's disabled. I got another side story. One of the cars was actually donated to a school, and the school got it back running. They took it back. They wanted this car dead. And the reason being is GM over-engineered. GM built a car that, like you said earlier, you didn't have to maintenance this thing. This, I mean, you buy it, and you know, well, down the road you're going to be changing tires and batteries. But other than that, you had a car that never— GM you, built this car to make CARB happy. Exactly. California Air Research Board happy, but the thing was, by making them happy, they made big oil very mad. They don't like this. This car doesn't use oil. It doesn't use gasoline, and they did not like that. Another side note, these these cars actually came out with lead-acid batteries in them. Um, you know, General Motors had these battery packs for them. Well, they were going to lithium batteries, and the Impact had a lead-acid battery in it. The EV1 was a lithium battery. The company was in Detroit where they built these cars. And it was a smaller mom-pop company that made the battery packs for these cars. And GM execs came to them and said, listen, you will never be able to keep up with the demand of this car. It's going to be the next big thing. And they bought this little small battery company out that made the batteries for the EV1, thinking that they were making the right move for the expansion of the electric car. Well, GM sold that company to another company, Chevron Oil. And they closed it down. Well, now we can't get batteries no more for the EV1. So that's one reason why the EV1 died. And, you know, I mean, Jim didn't want this out there. It was a, a car that was going to last forever, if you will. And, I mean, what's the point of that, creating a car that you never have to replace? I There's mean, no money in that. Absolutely. So they shut it down. Um, out of the initial crushing, 40 cars would actually survive this. 20 were shipped overseas to museums and educational institutions, as we talked about. Um, and they were under the agreement to not get them running. Well, what happened is everybody wanted to get them back running. And as you said, they were pulled. You know, So GM started slowly finding these cars back and crushing them. Um, and that leaves us with the three we know of in existence to today. Uh, very interesting fact is in 2016, TV show Jay Leno, Jay Leno's Garage, he actually presented the only intact, the still-functioning EV1, part of the collection of famous filmmaker Francis Ford uh, Coppola to the Smithsonian Institution. Coppola. Coppola. Yeah, uh, and it's in the Smithsonian. There's one in the Peterson Museum, and there's a museum in Detroit that's got one, but it's these three are non-functional. Exactly. And, I mean, that's the thing about this car. And, you know, you can argue about it all day long about big company. You can argue about government. You can argue about that. You can argue about the reliability of the car. But at the end of the day, this is my theory on the electric car. Um Till this country cleans up their power grid, it's always going to be an emissions car. I mean, this is the thing. It's almost like the cup trick. You know the guys like the hustlers in the street that's got the three cups. And, you know, where's the ball at? Well, no matter where you do, the ball's going to move. And what they did is they just moved the ball around. All right, so you got your gasoline car. All right, well, it burns gas, it makes smoke. Well, this electric car don't burn gas, so it don't make smoke. But where does that power come from? When you think of power, you think of big water, like, you know, the water water wheels and, you know, big hydro plants and things like that, or the big fans that they have out in the plains and in the desert and stuff. Well, that's about 4% of the nation's energy. The thing that's crazy, do you know where the other 96% come from? Coal-burning. Coal-burning power plants. So basically, the electric car just has a really long tailpipe, if you want to look at it like that. So, And that's the thing about it. But, I mean, GM has tinkered with solar technology. 
They have tinkered with so many different things. And this car was a very great car, and it was leaps and strides beyond anything that's come out. And I'll be honest with you, if it wasn't for the EV1, you wouldn't see the Tesla today. Absolutely. And that's why I met earlier on in the show when uh, I talked about this is going to open the door for many uh, conversations to come, uh, you know, talking about the Tesla and all the advancements they're making, talking about all the electric car advancements outside of the automotive industry and the conspiracy wrapped around, you know, GM and the conspiracies throughout time that have been wrapped around the automotive industry. But uh, we're going to have to wrap this segment up right now. Very uh, Coming up next, very uh, special guest Robbie Steen is going to be here. You guys are not going to want to miss it. Right here on 106.3 WORD. You're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Nitro for your ears. Tank is full on Hot Rods and Happy Hour. With Rob Pitts and Odd Rod. On 106.3 WORD. Get it, boy. Getting eight miles to the gallon and loving every minute of it. This is Hot Rods and Happy Hour with Rob and Odd Rod on 106.3 WORD. All right, guys. I want to welcome everybody back to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. This is Rob Pitts. What's up? This is Odd Rod. All right, guys. we got a very special guest on the line right now. Everybody, I want to introduce you to the Guinness Book of World Record holder for the world's fastest golf cart. How fast do you think the world's fastest golf cart is? I mean, I'm, I'm saying it'll outrun any 65 Malibu in the upstate area. Or any 91 Capri station wagon. Eh, maybe. I don't know. I tell you what, we're talking about a 118 mile an hour golf cart. That's pretty good. Pretty good. 30 miles an hour on a golf cart is white knuckles. Let me introduce you to Mr. Robbie Steen of Plum Quick Racing in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Robbie, how are you doing, buddy? Doing fine. How about y'all? Oh, man, doing great. Doing great. I tell you what, won't you tell us about how you got into electric golf carts, how you got into the electric motors. Right. Well, we got a company, uh, Plum Quick Motors, here in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Uh, we've been doing high-performance DC golf cart motors for about 18 years, and um, basically, uh, we was looking for a way to promote the motors and stuff, and we thought, you know, what better way than to build a drag cart, and so we started back in about 10 years ago, about 2007, and built our first drag cart, and our goal was at that time to run 80 miles an hour in the eighth of a mile. And so we built a cart, took it down there at uh, Paisley Dragway in uh, Paisley, South Carolina. And the second pass, we turned 86 miles per hour. And so we had the bright idea, well, let's just shoot for 100. And that's what launched the um, the race to see just how fast you could go on them. And um, so now we've uh, we went through several different carts, different battery packs and stuff. And, um, you know, then we was able to get awarded the Guinness World Record uh, in 2013 and then broke our original Guinness World Record in 2014 at 118.76, and um, so now we're building a, a new golf cart to um, break that record, and um, you know we're trying to shoot for 150 in the quarter mile. And this is the thing I want to remind everybody: we're talking with Robbie Steen with Plum Quick Racing, guys. We're talking about an electric golf cart that you are building that's going to run 150 miles an hour. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of people don't realize the kind of power you can get out of a, a DC motor. Really, you're you're using old technology, the DC brush motor, but we're coupling that with the newest technology in lithium batteries, and it's just phenomenal. You know, if you can keep everything together, it's phenomenal what you can get out of it. Robbie, I, I got a question. What kind of power are you actually looking to get out of the uh, golf cart itself? I know it's a little different than, you know, like internal combustion horsepower, but right. it, it does have a translation. What kind of power are you looking to get? Yeah. Well, the the 
battery pack and, and a lot of this, now this particular cart hadn't been on a dyno. The, the last cart about four years ago that I had on an actual car dyno, uh, it all it had lead acid batteries, so you can't compare this. But that one on a car dyno pulled uh, 291 horsepower. Now, what I'm doing today with lithium ion, um, basically you're looking at around a 1400 horsepower battery pack. And so I can say, you know, pretty surely that we should put around close to a thousand horsepower to the wheels, and the cart should weigh in between a thousand and eleven hundred pounds. This is something that's crazy. I mean, I mean, I've built cars all my life. Do you mm-hmm. realize how large of a feat it is to build a car? I'm talking about internal combustion with a right. thousand rear wheel horsepower. Right, right. And and the thing about it is, with electric versus gas, uh, whenever you go, uh, you know, whenever you go to the drag strip and you you see the cars bump up to the line and they're revving those. Uh, RPMs when they're staging in, they're having to build RPMs to build horsepower and torque. Whereas electric, when when I pull up to the line and I stop, nothing's moving. So at the at the touch of the pedal, you got instant torque and horsepower from the very first revolution. On electric drag racing, you, you've got to gear it totally opposite from gasoline. Gasoline has has to build RPMs to develop horsepower and torque. With electric, you got it from the very start, and then after you start peaking over about five to six thousand. RPMs, your curve starts dropping like a rock. So you got a power band that you need to stay in. So if you look at a dyno chart of an electric dragster versus a, a gasoline dragster, the chart will go in the opposite ways. They will just make an X on the on page whenever you put them close together because they just they're totally opposite. I tell you, that's that's really that's I mean, it just blows my mind even thinking about. It. Actually, I was reading something the other day. The I don't know if you've ever heard of the Quest dragster that Don Garlitz is wanting to. Oh yeah, yeah. His Quest is for two hundred miles an hour. Right. And and guys just to paint a picture for you. Don Garlitz is probably one of the most famous drag racers of all times. Sure. He's been out of it for a little while, and now he's actually on an electric dragster team. And this car they're building is a full-size top-fuel right. dragster that's electric, and they're going for 200 mile an hour. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to a man that's going to go 150 mile an hour on an electric golf cart. That's saying something. I mean, I just can't even wrap my mind around that. Right, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you guys but, are doing some amazing stuff up there. Well, and I, a lot of people ask, what does it feel like? It's kind of hard to explain, but you can hold your breath for eight or ten seconds. So, I mean, it goes by so fast. You really don't have time to think about it in the moment. Your main concern is you start going over to what ifs. You know, what if it turns this way? What if it turns that way? You know, what if the brakes don't work? What if, you know, what if the acceleration hangs up? You start... You think about a lot of stuff in eight seconds. Exactly. That's what (laughs) occupies your mind. You're not really thinking about how fast you're going. You're thinking about how quick can I slow it down once I cross the line. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, once you get it in your blood, like I'm sure... You guys know, you know, once you get that in your blood, I don't care if you're, you know, racing bicycles, tricycles, motorcycles, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, you get that competitive, you want to you want to do better, you want to stretch the limits to see just exactly what you can, you know, do out of something. So it's just it's just a competitive nature that, you know, everybody has every day in doing whatever they do, you know. Absolutely. Robbie, tell us a little bit more about Plum Quick and what you guys actually do there outside of building these high-performance uh, drag cars. Right, sure. Well, 
what we do, we have several different motors. Our, our website is uh, plumquick.com, and you can go to Google and just type in plumquick, and it'll come up. Or you type in world's fastest golf cart, it you know it comes up. But basically, what we do, we do for dealers, and we also do online internet sales and stuff. So our basic package is called the Bandit, and what the Bandit is, let's just say you've got a 2012 club car precedent, 48 volt just precedent cart. Say it runs 17 miles per hour. I can take that motor off of your cart for $225. I do a performance upgrade on it. It's completely tore down, repainted, bearing. I mean, it's completely gone through. You put it back on the car, and you'll pick up roughly 10 miles per hour for $225. And 10 miles per hour in a car doesn't sound like much of an increase, but on a golf cart, it's a big increase. Well, you got to think about when you're only going 17 mile an hour to begin exactly. with, you just exactly. gained 10 then, mile an hour. And then we go from that to we have high performance packages. Generally, I shut it off at roughly between 40 to 50 miles per hour for a package for the street. And that's for uh, club cars, easy goes, Yamahas. We try to you know keep it at that level. I don't do any, per se, race packages for, for people. Number one, liability issue. But the, the biggest thing is we hold the Guinness World Record. I'm looking at breaking the Guinness World Record. I will defend the Guinness World Record. So I'm not going to let something go out there that we worked years in doing. I want to be the one that owns it and you know not not that we're the smartest people in the world but we worked a lot of years to develop our process our gearing our motor building and all and it's for a marketing tool so it'd be foolish for me to, you know to sell this type of stuff to well i want to tell you something people. i mean i mean that's like you know selling selling somebody's never shot a gun before a machine gun i mean you just don't right. do that exactly but the thing that's cool about this though and you doing this i mean this these are stock golf carts basically in, in appearance it looks like something right. you know i mean they're painted up and you go with several different things with them and stuff like that but right. this is still just like any other golf cart you've ever seen our last guinness world record uh cart which was a uh club car ds model is 90 percent stock the one that went 118.76 it's stock chassis Stock suspension, stock rear end, stock tires, plastic hubcaps. Only thing that was added to it, our high-performance motor, a gear change, high-amp controller, lithium battery pack, and safety-wise, and this is kind of where it's funny. I don't know why we did it when you look back at Safety-wise, it's got a four-point harness on it. No cage, no nothing like that. So really, if you were direct, the seatbelt would keep you in the car so they wouldn't have to go hunt your body. But that's about all it'd be good for. That's the only safety part about it. Right. The one we're doing now is still, now this is an EasyGo RXB chassis. It's got standard chassis, standard suspension, golf cart rims and tires on the front, drag radials on the back. But it has had a roll cage installed by John Gibbons, Gibbons Race Cars out of Gastonia. Super, super good fella. And then a um, sort of like a Pro Mod drop nose front and put on by Mike Riggs out of York, South Carolina. Very talented guy. And that is more, the roll cage naturally is for safety when you start getting this kind of speed. And then the drop nose front end is to keep air to push down the front end because we was having problems with our last Guinness World Record car picking the front end up at the quarter mile mark. And air was getting up under it. And now that's what will uh, tighten your britches up. Thank you so much for being on the show, sir. Guys, if you want to learn more about Plum Quick Racing or make your golf cart fast as hell, you need to give... Robbie Steen, a call at Plum Quick Racing. You can look him up on Facebook. And I tell you, if you want to watch something really cool, check out his YouTube videos. Type in Plum Quick Racing, world's fastest golf cart. This guy 
really is the real deal right here in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Robbie, thank you again for being part of the show. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me on. Y'all have a good afternoon. All right, guys. You're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour on 106.3 WORD. Thanks for listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Interact, share, and connect with Rob and Hot Rod. Hit the on-air button at 106.3 WORD.com. Scroll to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Find out more about the show. Listen on demand at Interact 24-7. Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Supercharged Auto Talk. On 106.3 WORD. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.